Hello and welcome to Global Supply Chain Week. I'm Lorianne LaRocco, Senior Editor of Guests at CNBC and a columnist for American Chipper. Joining me now to discuss uh, the ins and outs of all things supply chain is uh, John Gold, Vice President of Supply Chain and Customs Policy at the National Retail Federation. Thanks so much, John, for uh, joining us. Thanks, Lorianne. Good to see you. Good to see you. So let's get right to it. For those who read my columns, they know my catchphrase, containers don't lie. And they don't. I mean, the flow of trade is agnostic. It doesn't uh, pick winners or losers. And uh, based on what I am seeing with uh, our customs and bills and lading, and uh, John, as you can see with the first slide, Christmas is still here. It's February, but you can still get your Christmas tree uh, out of the port of Los Angeles. From your community, John, uh, inventory is so key, inventory management. When you look at all of these ports, right, that we saw from Import Genius with the Christmas-related TEUs, what did this speak to you and how has that been communicated to you by your community? I think it indicates that there's a significant issue we're facing right now with the, the supply chain. I mean, I think we all recognize that there are challenges throughout the system. But this just highlights how how disruptive and disoriented the supply chain is right now because of all the different factors that are causing not only congestion at the ports, but congestion on the seas as well. As you look at how many vessels are still sitting out in the harbors for, for LA Long Beach. And I think what folks need to recognize is that it's not just LA Long Beach that's being impacted, but it ripples throughout the economy. And we're now starting to see impacts at other ports as well. So this is this is a significant issue that we all need to be paying attention to and trying to find solutions moving forwards. You know, normally, as you know, there's a seasonality, right, when it comes to the trade for the retailers. Looking at this, I mean, there was a backlog. You saw the uh, a pop back in as early as July, right, when it when it came to the snowball of the containers. Um, in the next slide, I actually drilled down, kind of looking at December fifteenth all the way through July 31st. Now, December 15th, depending on where the retailer is, right? Maybe it'll get on the shelf, but you're looking at a lot of product here that might not make it and might have to go to the secondary market. Can you kind of explain in terms of um, how that eats into the revenue? And, you know, there are winners and losers when it comes to warehouse space. Some retailers don't have it. So what can you tell us there in terms of how they're managing this late arriving uh, product. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the as you noted, the seasonality. I mean, there are different selling seasons retailers have throughout the year, whether it's the, the major selling seasons for major holidays or other fall, spring, summer, winter events and promotions they have planned. You know, you don't ever want to miss those promotional uh, avenues. And if you do, unfortunately, you know, there are more times than not, that product automatically gets marked down because you miss that all-important selling season. You know, as you noted, the the inventory ratio right now is is incredibly low. I mean, folks are are struggling to get product in. Um, you know, some retailers are better positioned than others, and again, depends upon the the consumer demand that continues. And we're are we're still expecting a strong consumer demand through the summer. Um, if you look at the numbers we put out for a global port tracker, you know, just a couple of weeks ago, we're still seeing incredible container volumes coming in through through the summer. Um, and that's going to get right into the next peak season. So I don't know that we're going to get a, a slowdown from, from peak to peak. Exactly. And we really do need that slowdown because that helps with like the ebbs and flow uh, for these containers. Um, you know, one product that we all know, love and cherish this pandemic, of course, is this is the wipe. Right. We all know firsthand the, dis the disruption, if we will. Right. On the container wipe. 
Um, as, as a lot of people know, I do know a lot of CEOs uh, wearing my CNBC hat. And I had the chance to speak with a CEO who makes a household brand name, Sanitation Wipe. And for the sake of their business, they, do, they want to remain, remain um, anonymous. Um, and so, you know, John, I, I pulled this fig, these figures for you just because, you know, you are a customs guy, you're a logistics guy, you know, drilling right down the cost as it relates to um, getting a product here, right? Uh, for those who don't realize, and I actually learned this myself, um, because these have to be approved, uh, the sanitation, the formula for these wipes have to be made here in the United States. So these manufacturers have to deal with the, this poor congestion twice. So they have to find a container to get their product to China, and then they have to, of course, have their product come back to the United States and its full thing. The interesting thing um, in, um, in this price tag of manufacturing that I wanted to go over with you, John, is the fact that now it's taking these individuals 20 days to find a container. And I want to hit home on all this because this is a, it's not like a life-saving product, but it helps keep our homes clean and maybe a little bit less germ-free or less germs, I should say. So the, the, we're looking at delays here for a product that could help you or I. Um, what are you hearing from your membership as it relates to what we're seeing here in terms of the cost of inland freight, the cost of, you know, finding a container? And not to mention, this is a brand new thing, folks. Now, U.S. manufacturers, if you're going to, going to China, you have to uh, pay a $300, $300 deposit in order to participate in the reservation process. That does not mean you're going to get a container. It means it gives you the right to say, hey, guys, I would like to get a container. Okay, John, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think just this just highlights all the challenges that, that both importers and exporters are facing right now. The rising transportation costs that are caused by the, the disruption and the congestion. I mean, a container that sits for, for long periods of time, that costs you money that you hadn't planned on when you're making your, your supply chain. You know, all the different costs right now for the increase in freight rates, not just on the ocean, but rail, truck. I mean, all those rates are now are now going much higher than what you had originally planned for when you put your supply chain together, you know, six, nine, 12 months ago when you were first looking at this. The issue of the empty container is a massive issue that we're seeing for folks, especially on the import side, for trying to get those empty containers back and get goods loaded on the empties. I mean, their folks are saying it's taking weeks you know, potentially months to, to find an empty container to get their goods back here. And I know U.S. exporters, especially the ag community, are finding a, a bear of a time getting exports and getting their goods to, to markets overseas. So it's the, the ripple effects that we're seeing for all this congestion is, is pretty significant and it's going to impact all sectors of the economy going forwards. Exactly. And when it comes to our exports, that's a hit on GDP. And, uh, and this is trade. You know, and this is important, the amount of jobs and millions of jobs that that are touched by trade, um, you really can't quantify. And when you look at the cost, the price tag of manufacturing alone for, for a single wipe, it, the price difference that these guys are facing is it's almost it's it's over sixteen thousand dollars. That that that's insurmountable. That's that's even before they get the product made. You know, move, moving to the second uh, the second aspect of this is the price tag of transportation and logistics. And we all know about the rising cost of the container, right? 7,500 and up. 180 days ago, that cost of the same container was $1,200. Um, when you're looking at the time it takes to get your product into the port, right? We know the delays. 
um, you're looking at 49 plus days until it gets to the distributor, not even until it gets to the retailer. All of this adds up to a whopping $19,000, right, of extra cash, but more importantly, time. Again, let's talk about the, it's so crucial, time. And time is of the essence when it comes to sanitation wipes, when it comes to the retailer. How do they manage, how, how are they managing now? Like, what's the solution, John? How, where do we go from here? With all of this. Well, if I can can come back to one thing you were talking about earlier as far as the impact on trade and exports, the GDP, imports are just as important for GDP as well. And it's not just for the finished consumer goods, but it's for those inputs to production that U.S. manufacturers are relying upon that they're not getting that could potentially force their manufacturing facilities to shut down because they don't have enough stuff of the inventory and stock to make the product that you need. So, you know, this this is an, you know, we need to remember that both imports and exports are critical for GDP and, and the overall growth of the U.S. economy and our competitiveness going forwards. As far as how companies are managing this, I think a lot of companies now, at least my members, are looking at, you know, how do they further move up their production cycles in, in supply chain for when they need to get product here to the United States. Recognizing all the delays that they're seeing, you know, they're going to need to, to further advance getting product in just to try and get that empty container when it becomes available. So, and again, that all adds cost to the system that you probably hadn't planned on previously. Um, and I think all these supply chain challenges, you know, really have risen to the C-suite level where they hadn't been there previously. I think, you know, what we've seen through the pandemic is how incredibly important is the supply chain is for the growth and success and viability of any company, not just retailers, but other companies as well. So the C-suite has become, you know, highly motivated to reevaluate supply chains. I think a lot of the investments you've seen have all been in supply chain for a variety of reasons. Um, and this is something that's going to continue going forwards because, you know, I hate to say it, but this isn't, this isn't going to be the last disruption that we, we see. Hopefully it'll be the last one we see on this scale. But I think companies need to, to plan for that risk mitigation going forwards. And this just further highlights the need for that planning as part of your overall process. You know, you know, you mentioned all these great uh, steps and, you know, we've got some more here too about that holistic approach, right? When it comes to really knowing your supply chain, um, mm-hmm. as you know, with what's going on with cotton, um, if I was a t-shirt manufacturer, I want to know where my, my third tier supplier is. Um, we all know things are very spongible. Um, things are moving fast. What kind of additional um, tidbits can you offer in terms of mitigating the supply chain risk? Yeah, I think that know your supply chain is is incredibly important for, for a variety of reasons. Obviously, there's a lot of pressure now through you know Congress and the administration and, and others on knowing the entirety of your supply chain back to where the, the resources uh, came from, whether it's the cotton that goes into the t-shirt or, or something else. So having that visibility all the way through is incredibly important. You know, you keep hearing from, from customs and others, know your supply chain for a variety of reasons. And I know, you know, we know that for some companies getting beyond that tier two, tier three supplier all the way back to where the raw materials came from is incredibly difficult, but companies are now spending the the time and effort to try and, and find that out. It's not easy but companies are, are looking to do that. And again, you know, making sure that you have that, those mitigation uh, procedures in place so you don't have all your eggs in, in one basket. I think this is something you know, that companies have been looking to do on the sourcing side for, for decades now is you know, uh, you know, have, have your sourcing in multiple locations. 
um, and make sure you're not just in, in one. But uh, you know, it's not as easy as that when you look at all the the all the elements that go into how you make your sourcing decisions. Um, you know, available capacity, available skill, you know, proper skill set, the infrastructure in place in the the country you're sourcing from. Um, all those different issues, the ability to go in and do your auditing, make sure that they can make the product not only to your specifications, but meet any and all of the federal regulations, you know, product safety issues that need to be met. So, you know, it's it's a very complicated process. But again, there's more and more highlight happening within that know your supply chain and knowing all your partners. Um, I think in addition to that, there the other issue of the partnerships in general with all of your 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 stakeholders, your vendors, your not only your product vendors, but your transportation providers as well. And all those provide the services because what you want to make sure is that when something happens where you need to, to make a change immediately, that everybody's in line and can make that change that you need. You have to have partners that are they're agile and can work with you, you know, as soon as you need that. And the other part of that too is the partnerships internal to your organization. So you make sure that everybody is aligned and knows what the process is going to be going forwards, what the action plan is going to be. So everybody from sourcing to distribution to transportation to customs to legal to finance, everybody's got to be on the same page and talking to make that change immediately. So I think those are kind of the three key things that I know in talking to my members, that's what they're focusing on for how to improve their their ability to, to make change and that risk mitigation. You know, one of the things, you know, that's out of our control when it comes to certain things is when we're dealing with our, with the partners, um, the, the sanitation, the, the sanitizing wipe CEO was telling me his manufacturer doubled the amount of orders are required for them to even do the job. That's extra money, right? In terms of, of, of the planning, how do, how do you plan for, for being that nimble? We, like, how do you foresee something like that? I mean, his profits, he told me, are, are down 90% from all the extra costs. And these manufacturers are going to get squeezed. You, you, we already know that. I mean, we're seeing it. What are you hearing and how are folks, how do you how do you do that? Like, how do you address that? Yeah, I mean, I think it's tough to go back and, and do that now. But I think looking forwards with new contracts that you're, you're working on, having to make sure you have, you know, language to deal with these kinds of issues if there's an emergency situation, you know what what can you do going forwards? Um, I think that's going to be incredibly important to, to going forwards. But I think again, you know, having those longstanding relationships is is incredibly important to be able to get through these issues and deal with those kinds of those kinds of challenges that come forwards. Um, you know, obviously there are there are some companies better positioned to do that than others, which is always a, a challenge. But you know, I think you know this pandemic really has shown folks the need for that close partnership across the board within your supply chain, again, to, to make sure that you are, are nimble and can adjust as needed. But, you know, it, it's tough to say with the increased costs, how companies are going to manage that process. Um, and I know, you know, as everybody's trying to recover economically from the pandemic, when you had, you know, a number of stores and other facilities that were shut down early on or are now coming back online and just the ongoing uncertainty, uh, you know, this is it's going to be tough for a lot of folks. And again, you know, folks are, are trying to make sure that they're not passing that cost along at the end of the day because we know the consumers, you know, hurting to to an extent as well. But you know, there might be some a point in time when you, you know you can't avoid that. I know our members try to make sure they protect the consumer as much as possible. But you know, we'll, we'll see what happens going down the line. 
You know, you mentioned the the, the keyword uncertainty, right? If we if we had a dollar for every time we heard that word this past year, we wouldn't be here. We'd be like on our own island, right? How do you, you know, we've got this infrastructure bill, you know, floating out there. It's like a money grab, right? Every firm out there, every association has their magic, you know, their magic bean they want to put in. But realistically, we're not going to get everything that what, what we need. But what is really truly needed to restore, right? We need to restore predictability within the infrastructure. If you had the ear of Congress right now, what would be the most important pieces to restore that predictability so our economy can grow and we can start hiring people again? Yeah. I mean, look, we all know that that our infrastructure has been woefully underfunded for, for decades. Um, and, and, you know, I think we're pleased to see this administration want to focus on infrastructure as hopefully a, a bipartisan effort that will easily get through Congress. You know, I think one of the ongoing challenges is, is you know, trying to identify how do we pay for it? We all know we need to do it, but how are we going to pay for it? I think from our perspective, we need to make sure that whatever infrastructure bill goes forward includes a very robust freight movement policy going forward that looks at the, the supply chain at, holistically, looks at the entire supply chain from front to end and identifies where are the bottlenecks and how do we address some of that. You know, some of the challenges that we're facing are just, you know, operational related issues that, you know, I don't think Congress can address. But having a policy going forward that we understand the need for improving freight movement throughout the United States and putting money towards that is incredibly important. I think sends the right signal for, for how to address some of these issues. So, you know, our hope and what we're pushing for is a, a robust freight movement plan as part of an infrastructure bill going forwards. Well, John, thank you so much for joining me today. And uh, thank you all for watching.